how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Good. Let me read it. You got your Bibles open? Just seven verses, and it's about the healing on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her. And immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, There are six days in which work should be done. Therefore come during them and get healed, but not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day. And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Good. David, would you like to bring the word to us? I'm just thinking, actually, uh, David is probably, one, probably now the senior father in the faith since we've lost Roger. Uh, I see um, Jerry at the back. Uh, we've got senior mothers of the faith, but probably... If, um, David is probably the eldest brother in Christ in the fellowship. It's lovely to have you. There are many stories you give. You're the preacher of stories, and we want to receive what you have for us today, Lord. Father, we thank you for our dear brother. We thank you for the years of walking with you, Lord, and the years of ministry. Father, I thank you for him. I thank you for the word that he's prepared. Bring it alive to us. Bring it real to us, and make, help us, Lord, to uh, walk uh, deeper in love with you and following you as your disciples. We thank you for him now and encourage him and bless him and give him your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you will know that um, my granddaughter lives with me. And um, while I was sitting in the lounge this morning, she came downstairs dressed in running kit And she said, "Um, Grandad, I'm going for an 18-kilometer run. And I said to her, that would be a nightmare for me. And then she said to me, Grandad, what you're doing this morning would be a nightmare for me too. (laughs) When Anne and I came to Beckenham, it was just over 50 years ago, and we started off going to a local church. And... um, In the church, we met a retired old lady. Um, She was um, quite a character. 
She was um, feisty, <laughs> could answer back. She was very intelligent. And we found out that she'd been a teacher, a school teacher. Uh, she was a Christian, and she had gone to Nigeria, and she'd spent her life teaching in, a, in, I don't know if it was one school or several schools in Nigeria, for the whole of her life until she came to retirement age, and she'd come back. Uh, presumably, she came originally from Beckenham. And um, she was... Uh, at, at, when we first met her, she was healthy and her posture was fine. But then after a while, she got what is sometimes called bent spine syndrome. Called, the doctors don't call it that. They call it um, camptocornea, which is two Greek words. Kampto meaning bent and the other meaning trunk. So basically, it's, it's just a, a, uh, an intelligent way of not using English to describe the same condition. <laughs> and um, what happens is that when they have it, um, their spine, they can't stand vertically anymore. And they go down, not quite touching their toes, but certainly <coughs> going down this low. And then they walk like this. And she got this um, bent spine syndrome and she started to walk like that. And we used to see her because her way to going to the church and going to church meetings and things was um, along our, our road. And often um, I'd look out and I'd, not often, from time to time I'd look out and I'd see her walking like that down the road. And it's interesting um, I was looking into this to see whether there were cures, and they say that there's no known cure uh, present for this. And a lot of work happened by some French doctors in 1915-1916, where French soldiers had been wounded in the war, and they'd come home, and it was particularly those who didn't want to go back and fight again, who seemed to develop this, um, this syndrome. And the French doctors tried to cure them by um, psychotherapy and also by um, electrical shock treatment. And it said, sorry, in the article I read that they had some success in this, but not, not perfect sex. And this lady that we knew, who'd come back from having spent her life in Nigeria, um, she was like that and, until she died. Um, why am I telling you this story? It's because I think that the story of the lady in the, um, the gospel that we just read had bent spine syndrome. I think that's what she had. And she'd had it for um, 80 years. Not 80 years, 18 years. And no cure. No cure was in sight. Now it says in this passage that Jesus was in teaching in one of the synagogues. And in one of the commentaries that I read it said this was the last time that Jesus taught in a synagogue. Because he was no longer acceptable to many of the synagogue leaders. And so he did much more of his preaching than 
either out on the road or in the fields or wherever he did it. But this is the last recorded time of Jesus actually going into a synagogue. And, of course, they meet on a Saturday, which is the Sabbath, not our Sunday. And so this would have been on a Saturday when he went in. And there is, it says that there's a woman there who had a sickness caused by a spirit and could not straighten at all. I think when I read in this article about um, uh, bent spine syndrome, they can straighten if they're lying down in bed. But it's, it's obviously that whatever it is, the muscles or everything that holds you in vertical position, they can't do it. But you, we've probably got doctors and, med- and nurses and all who know more, much, much more than I do from um, reading up in Google. Um, but anyway, I think this woman had that bent spine syndrome. And in the text it says it was caused by a spirit... Um, And don't forget, this was written by a doctor. Luke was a doctor. And he um, said that this was caused by a spirit. Modern medicine might quibble with the evil spirit being the cause. But as Christians, we believe in God as all good and being opposed by Satan who is all evil. And with God, we have the Holy Spirit who aids and um, progresses the kingdom of God And we believe that Satan has his servants, messengers, evil agents, whose task is to hinder the kingdom of God. And Luke's description of that this being caused by an evil spirit, while you might find um, some doctors would say, no, 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 there's not. I'd like to go with that, that this is some work of Satan that has been used to damage this woman. And it's the work of... Satan can use bacteria or viruses or other tools or an evil spirit to hinder the kingdom of God and to hinder the work of Jesus. The woman has been like this for 18 years. We can judge the inconvenience to her living. We do not know how much pain she was in. If she had a family who was living what would her condition have meant to them? When she thought about it, what did her future hold? 18 years is a long, long time. Um, don't know if you can remember 18 years ago and thought, think all the things you've done the last 18 years. Just imagine you had been, whatever the word is, with a syndrome like this for 18 years, unable to do almost anything. Even today, no known cure. In the, um, I'm trying to think where it was. Yeah, in the late 1950s, I had a cousin of mine who got tuberculosis. And um, I know that nowadays there are modern treatments that don't involve this. But in those days, if you had TB, you went to a sanatorium for between 6 and 12 months. And I used to go and visit him there from time to time. It was, I don't know, about 15 miles from home, the sanatorium. And um, he was in, in one bed, and next to him was um, a veterinary surgeon who'd, who'd got the TB from one of the animals that he was treating. 
And so I used to go there, and the, the vet was quite a young vet, and he'd got a, a youngish wife, and she would come roughly, I suppose it was visiting hours, and I, she would be talking to her husband, and I'd be talking to my cousin. And I can remember once, um, he was going to be there, the, her husband, for between six and 12 months, and so was my cousin there. And I can remember she had left, and I was leaving, because it was the end of visiting time, and she was just ahead of me walking along, and she was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Just this separation from her husband over six to 12 months, coming to visit him whenever they had visiting times. It was horrendous to see. Um, this lady's life must have been horrendous, just going on year after year. And you can go on, at least these TV people knew that in a few, I say a few weeks, in quite a lot of weeks, they were going to be cured and they were going to be okay. But she'd got no hope for her. It was sort of like a hopeless life that she was living. And it's, on the Sabbath, she goes to the synagogue. Probably no hope of ever getting well. In spite of this, she is still going through she wants to be with the people of God. Probably no hopes or thoughts of a miracle, but the strength of being with people who want to be with others who meet to worship. When one feels depressed or down, the great temptation is not to go to meet with the people of God. You think, I, I need to, I'm tired, I need to sit at home, I need to be on my own, I need to have time for myself. It, it's it's a, a strategy of the enemy. The place we need to be is with the people who love God and worship God when we are feeling down. When any Christian is in the midst of pain or sorrow or under attack from the enemy, it is in the middle of the congregation of those who seek to worship, listen, and celebrate the joy of Jesus. That's going to, it's not going to necessarily cure you. Um, this, this, this Nigerian, not Nigerian, she, this lady who'd spent her life in Nigeria, who, uh, she didn't ever get cured. You know, she, she, she just died from this, or died from old age maybe, but died with this symptom. Now, it's lovely to see that the woman doesn't even approach Jesus. She'd not come um, specifically to meet Jesus and ask for healing. When Jesus saw her, the text says, he called her over. He firstly spoke healing into her and said, you are freed from your sickness. And then he laid hands on her and immediately she was made erect. And her first reaction was to glorify God. Sheer joy and delight expresses an outpouring of thanks and blessing to God and gratefulness to God. I think, that, I think it's beautifully the way Luke catches this. Jesus does the initiative. It's not that she's coming saying, will you please heal me? Though that's a, a very noble to think, thing to do, to come to Jesus and ask, will you heal me? But she doesn't even ask it. She just comes to be with the people of God. And Jesus picks her out and says, come forward. And he, 
He tells her she's freed and then he lays hands on her and she's healed. Many, many years ago, um, uh, there were three of us, um, Ian King um, and my wife and I, who were leading an Icarus congregation in Downham. And um, one, I think it was on about a Thursday, I happened to bump into Roger and he spoke to me, Roger Forster, and he spoke to me and said, David, I've been asked to place someone to, to go and preach somewhere. And I was wondering whether he could come to Downham this weekend and preach at the Downham congregation. And I said to him, Roger, we'll take anyone that you recommend. And he said to me, oh, no, no, I, I've never met this guy. <laughs> you know, I've just been asked to place And I'm not quite sure if I said, um, we'll take the chance then. <laughs> but, uh, and I, I said, okay, yes, send him to Downham and he can preach to the Downham congregation um, this Sunday. And, and then it was only after I'd left Roger that I realized I wouldn't be there myself um, because I'd been asked to preach been booked to preach in another congregation which was further away from my home than Downham was and anyway on the Saturday morning not Saturday on the Sunday morning Anne went off and Ian went off um, and uh, this chap was picked up and taken there and I went off to um, the church that I was preaching in which was as I say was considerably distance further I preached I went through the service came home Anne wasn't there and I sat waiting and it was, I think it was days before we really all had mobile phones you know I thought how can I contact I can't you know and I waited for over an hour after I'd gone home and Anne hadn't turned up and then she suddenly turned up and told me what had happened in the meeting with this preacher and um, What had happened was that uh, when he was coming up to preach, he said to the congregation, um, did any of you feel a tingling in your hands when you felt when I was going up to preach? Put up your hands now if you felt a special tingling in your hands. That wasn't there before, but just as I was coming up. And three people put, I'm sorry, this is all reported speech. I wasn't there, I was in this other... <laughs> This is all what Anne told me. Three people put their hands up and said, yes, they've got a special... He said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And then he said this. He said, I want everything that I pray to be recorded. Can you do that? And the Ian King said, yes, we can do it. We've got a tape recorder here that we can record everything you say. He said, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I say and to say things that I said which I didn't say. So he's very concerned about this. And um, so he had them up. And the thing, his, hardly called it a methodology, but what he did, he, the first person he came, he told something that, to her that in her past life that had happened to her that there was no way that he could have known it. You know? He just described something and she said, yes, that did happen to me. And then he did a prophecy to her. And he, he did this for, the, first of all, the first three came up, and then others just joined the queue, I'm told. You know, they, they hadn't had the tingling. <laughs> but if there was going to be prophecies around, they, they wanted them. 
And, and so one after the other, um, and um, they were all, and, and later each one was, you know, was, was given the bit of what was spoken to them on a little small cassette. But at the time, it was all recorded on one, and it was all there. And there was, it was quite interesting. There was one lady in the congregation who was a single lady, and his prophecy to her was, you are going to get married. And now this is what I think she was longing to hear. She, she, <coughs> she really did want to be married. Fifteen years later, I went to her wedding with her. <laughs> At the time of the prophecy, the man she would eventually marry was still married. But then his wife died. And um, when he became free, not, not that they'd known each other before, that they, they got to know each other after his wife had died and she married. And it was... Um, I mean, I didn't go through all the prophecies, but... Um, Later that year, he invited Anne and me to go to his, his home place. It's in the Washington State, you know, the farthest northwest of the United States. And I think the place was called Yakima, where he did a three-day conference. And there, they had a prophetic school, so that if you wanted a prophecy, anyone could go. And five or six people would gather around you, and they would tape record their prophecy on your life. Now... Uh, one of the prophecies for me was that I was going to write five books. <laughs> well, that hasn't worked, but maybe that's my laziness. I haven't written one book. But anyway, um, what I'm trying to say, the, the meeting, um, as, as Anne and Ian reported the meeting to me, was sort of immense with people's hunger to know what God was really saying to them. And, and the prophecies were a fantastic help to the congregation. Now we come back to Jesus in the synagogue and the attitude of the official. He states, this shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. His mind is full of Exodus 20, where it says, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, because God rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. And they were taking this very, very strictly, or at least the leader of the synagogue was doing that. And you might say he was heartless. This healing offended his dignity, breaks what he deems the rules are, changes his status, I just want to tell you, beware of status. I'll come more on to that. And as far as he was concerned, rules supersede love. When I was in my twenties, oh, I, I was my first construction site in Boston and Lincolnshire, and we used to work Saturday mornings. But Saturday afternoon, my great delight—well, Saturday evening was going to the, the boys' youth club to help lead the boys' youth club. But Saturday after my great flight was that we played hockey teams. We, I was in the Boston hockey team and we went round the, all around the county. We went as far as Melton Mowbray and Leicestershire and we went to Great Yarmouth and all, all sort of things. And I loved playing hockey. And, um, but there, was, there were two school teachers who were also on my team. Both were teachers at the Boston Grammar School. And um, 
One was a very committed Christian, the other marginally so. But the one who was, I would say, marginally so, and it's not for me to judge on his status, he, he was married to a German Christian who was very into this subject. And so, on a Sunday, she would do no work at all, and um, she made sandwiches on the Saturday, and then their food on the Sunday was the sandwiches she'd made on the Saturday. And he used to be very apologetic. He was saying, I'm sorry, I can't invite you to my home on Sunday because we have this rule in our... He didn't agree with it, but uh, that was the rule. You can get... And I have met other people for whom that Sabbatarian... And I went along with it my own way at one stage. But it, you can have... You can see if you're brought up in a particular way and you haven't broken free. It's, um, it's a very hard thing for this man. But status is the thing that you have to... I would say beware of seeking status. There are always going to be leaders, rulers, positions of authority, which may be right for you to take. But do be aware of the dangers that come with it. Of course we've got to have leaders. Of course we've got to have people who with authority. But it, it is in some ways a dangerous position to be in. And you need to pursue it if you've given status. Maybe you didn't choose it. Maybe it's given to you. You need to pursue it with humility and love and hold lightly to any status that you've got. I'm so grateful that my experience in Nicholas is that that is fulfilled over and over again. People have status, but they hold it lightly. And it's... It, it doesn't, uh, their dealings with people are never from a proud reaction. Sorry, I keep turning, perhaps I need to move around a bit. Um, the Lord's brilliant answer to the synagogue leader's protestation. He says, you hypocrites, you play actors. This woman, a daughter of Abraham, so she's a true and trusted Jew, that's what he's saying, you're the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. And here Satan is who Jesus attributes the, the binding of this woman to. So he doesn't say she did something wrong or anything, he says Satan has bound her for 18 years. Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day. It, it's almost a, an answer that there is, who, who can you object to this? He, he goes on to say, you, you, um, you've got, you're allowed to take your cow or your donkey out to give it from its uh, stall to give it water. They can go out and move and you can go with them and get them to drink water. And they can move and they can do these things. Can't this woman be freed from the, the crippling bondage of her life because it's a Sabbath. When you meet someone who is not a Christian, in a different way, he or she is bound by Satan. They've never seen the light of the Lord Jesus. When you lead them to Jesus, 
and light comes in, their chains are broken. And not just the multitude, it says in, in, the, in the synagogue, the multitude gave praise and gave thanks. You know, they were rejoicing in what Jesus had done. The leader didn't, but they were rejoicing. When you lead someone out of darkness and into light, the whole company of heaven rejoices. Sometimes it, it happens in a, I don't mean the, the heaven rejoices happens in a flash, I mean sometimes the leading someone happens in a flash. Sometimes you live with someone or work with someone as it happened to me for a year and um, before he eventually became a Christian. He was working with me, we were sharing this very cold hut in Boston in the coldest winter that we've had <laughs> in 1963 and we got a lot of time to talk because there was no work going on, you know, the, the construction site couldn't work. And we talked and talked, and I used to invite him to all the evangelistic meetings. Whenever the church was doing something evangelistic, yes. Um, we could if you came with me. No, no, he said, I don't want to come to that. And then one day, he said to me, David, what are you doing tonight? Probably have told the story, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm going to the church prayer meeting. He said, can I come with you? believe my, you know, always say no to my lovely evangelistic meetings, but he wants to come to the church prayer meeting. I tell you, I went scared to that church prayer meeting, and um, there was just a, a group, I don't know, 12 or 15 of us, we were sitting there, and I thought, um, I better not pray, I don't want to give the impression that everyone has to pray, so I will, I mean, I did pray, but I, I mean, I what I meant, I wasn't, I wasn't going to pray out loud, and my great friend in the, in the congregation who was the leader of the youth group, he came up to me afterwards and he said, David, I knew you weren't going to pray tonight. <laughs> and, uh, and he then just said, can I come with you to church? And it wasn't something quick. It, it was slowly. And he came to the church and he came and he, he met the people of God and he became a Christian. And it's... Uh, Someone I, um, well, obviously I had hoped for, but it was, it's from, when you bring someone out of darkness into light, you don't realize what you're doing for their lives. They're going to have a completely changed life. Um, probably that's all I've got to say on this story. Is that okay if I finish now? Let your living As I abide in you, let your lead.